Blog Talk Radio. Radio. Are you seeking deeper insight into yourself and your life? Are you in transition or at a crossroads? Are you facing a challenge? Or do you want to make a change but find your past approaches no longer work? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, then sit back, take heed, and you will find you can bring your life into sharper focus, discovering all that you are here to accomplish on this, your life's journey. This is T. Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a reconnective healing practitioner, certified vibrational sound therapist, and positive psychology practitioner at Quantum Wellness Center, my private practice located in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. Energy Awareness Radio is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products to choose from, so you can listen whenever and wherever you want. Just download the title you prefer, free of charge, and start listening when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. That's audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. My guest is former world champion athlete, coach, martial arts instructor, college professor, and best-selling author, Dan Millman. You know, actually, Dan has authored 17 books, which have been read by millions of people in 29 languages. He's been teaching worldwide for three decades, speaking to and influencing men and women from all walks of life, including leaders in the fields of health, psychology, education, business, politics, sports, entertainment, the arts, and and so much more. We are very fortunate, as he is here with us now, to discuss his most recent book, The Four Purposes of Life, Finding Meaning and Direction in a Changing World. So welcome to the show, Dan. I am truly honored. Thank you for joining us here at Energy Awareness Radio. How are you being? Oh, just great, T. Thanks. Glad to be here with you. Yeah, it, it's truly an honor. I've read so many of your books, and so I was thrilled when I got the information about your newest one. And, you know, as I said, you've authored 17 books, and yet here we have another really great book. So do tell, how did you come to write this one? What was the catalyst for this? Well, each book has its own story. I've never written a book just to write another book. In fact, uh, after writing my first book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, uh, around 1980, I didn't write another book for 10 years. I figured I'd said what I had to say and was going to be quiet from there at that point. But then uh, (laughs) other mentors and influences came into my life, and I was quite excited about sharing in my own way some of these ideas. Um, you know, André Gide, the French philosopher, once said that anything that needs to be said has already been said, but it needs to be said again because no one was really paying attention. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I do. I offer reminders and perspectives through my various works. And there are different facets of this approach to living I call the peaceful warrior's way. And one of the main topics I, I feel is so important for most people is the sense of purpose because we're hardwired to strive towards something to be moving. In fact, I would define success as moving toward a meaningful goal. To me, that's the most meaningful definition of success, not reaching someplace, but moving toward a meaningful goal. It brings us into that zone, that sense of absorption when we're living on purpose. That's very true, and and that's well put. And as you said, everything that needs to be said has been said. But you know what? People hear it, and sometimes you can hear things 40 times, and it's the 41st time when you actually get it. So we need to be told over and over again. You know, it's just, it's not that we're stupid. It's that you need to hear it in a specific way. And sometimes you just need to let it really get within you so that you understand it better. And that's when the aha moment hits. 
And, you know, I agree with you. It's, success is not – a lot of people think success is money, the big house, the, the BMWs and the Mercedes and all that stuff. And that's not it at all because a lot of those people may not really be happy and they may not be successful because they're not on a journey that they're enjoying. And if you're on a journey that you're enjoying, that truly is success. So I, I do agree with you on that, and I thought that was beautifully put. Uh, your book, this one, The Four Purposes of Life, is great because it really, first of all, it's nice and short, so you can read it relatively quickly, but there's so much information that's good. You didn't have to you know, dress it up a whole lot. You just got to the point, and it makes so much sense. You broke it down into four major parts, and within each are aspects that create the whole, if you will. That's kind of how I found it to be. Uh, I don't know sure. if anybody's told you that before or not. Okay, so yeah, you agree that that's... I'd like to know Thank if we you. could go through each of the purposes because I just found them all so fascinating and, and each one kind of led to the other and yet some are go through life all the time. I don't know, it was just very interesting. It, it was intricate and I, I thought perhaps we could go through each one. Is that okay with you? I'd be happy to. Shall I summarize so people get an overview of, uh, so your listeners get a sense of what the four purposes are in brief and then move through them? What would you like? No, let's do one at a time. Make these people listen okay. and stay. <laughs> All right. You, you bet. Yeah. Stay tuned for the next one. Yes. Well, that's right. That's the great. Well, one, the first yep. one is learning life's lessons. And, and while this is the first purpose, you know, it's not to me when I read it, it's not like you go through it and get it over with and you're done. This to me is a lifelong purpose. Is that correct? Absolutely. Uh, and to provide a context in terms of this yes. idea of life purpose and how come I came up with four. Well, the way I, I mean, many people have suggested different purposes, learning to love. I couldn't argue with that. That sounds like a good purpose or awakening, mm -hmm. realization, um, becoming aware of our energy, for example. That's all. These are all good purposes in life. But just as we divide the points on a compass into four primary directions and just as we divide the days of the year into four seasons, by looking at our lives through the lens of these four purposes, we really get a sense of a structure. Uh, our life starts to make better sense. We see where we fit day to day in a context of our whole life. And when someone hears, oh, the first purpose Dan has is learning life's lessons, it sounds kind of mundane, but it's nothing like that. Um, mm -hmm. There's much <laughs> more to it than that. So I'm happy to get into some of the highlights, at least, of of uh, what this learning life's lessons is really about. That's what I liked about it. The fact that it seemed to be here are four major categories with you will, and if you will, and everything falls into them. Everything that you could think of as a purpose falls within, in these categories. And, and I thought this is great because now you don't have to think about, you know, well, there's this purpose and this purpose and there's 90 million purposes. But if you look at it more this way, it's almost like looking at those two emotions, love and fear. That's pretty much it. Everything falls under one. You know, and there is, you know, so I thought, I like the way this is categorized. So sure, yeah, let's go, let's get into the meat of the learning life's lessons. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, it's more radical than just we learn from our life experience. We all know that. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's suggesting that the planet Earth could be viewed as a divine or perfect school for souls, and daily life is our classroom. Uh, whether we like the idea of a classroom or not based on our school experiences, this is a real-world classroom. And I'm saying that 
Well, we've all noticed, for example, that lessons tend to repeat themselves until we learn them. It's a very patient process. And if we don't learn easy lessons, they get more dramatic. Many of us have had that experience. Life throws a ping pong ball and later a bowling ball. So it's best to learn the lessons a little bit earlier on. And that's what I propose to do in this section to show people to learn these lessons a little more gracefully uh, with a little less pain and take a little less time. Um, In other words, daily life is guaranteed to teach us everything we need to learn in order to evolve and grow as human beings. Uh, No one has to read my books or anyone's books or ever attend a seminar in order to evolve because people were evolving before there were books and seminars. But people then ask me, well, why do you write books and why do you teach? Because good reminders, good perspectives can help us to learn the lessons of life more easily. If experience alone created wise you know, people, then elderly people would all be wise masters. But we've noticed that's not necessarily the case. So we need a lens to really understand the lessons of experience. And that's why I mentioned that there are actually 12 courses in our curriculum in everyday life we need to pass in order to graduate. And this helps us to actually see what's happening in our life day to day, moment to moment. And that's that's true for – I don't want people to think that, okay, once you go through the the first purpose and now you move on to the second one as you read the book, as you said, it's something that you do moment to moment every day. And even if you learn the lesson, there's so many more to learn. It's going to continue right until the day you die. Yes, absolutely. Um, in fact, it's like that game whack-a-mole. You know, you hit one little mole and the rubber one and the other one comes up. There's always something, and you're right. It's not in perfect order. You, there's that saying, having it all together is like trying to eat once and for all. It doesn't yeah. work that way. So, yes, <laughs> our, but our lessons do get more refined. If you watch a gymnast, a beginning gymnast, she's up on the balance beam. She gets a little off balance and falls off because she's just learning. But over time, she still makes mistakes, even to the Olympics. But yes. they, they get smaller, more refined mistakes, and they're corrected more quickly. That's pretty much how it works in our everyday lives. And these 12 areas of life, just to give a flavor without going through all of them, the first mm-hmm. one is to discover our worth. The more we appreciate our innate worth as a human being, the more we or the less we tend to self-sabotage, the more we open our arms, our minds, our lives to life's blessings. Because many of us actually get in our own way. We end up creating the complications. Um, Money burns a hole in our pocket, or we say or do something in a relationship and it gets sabotaged. These things aren't done consciously. Um, Nobody wakes up one morning saying, hey, I think I'll sabotage my relationship today. Oh, no, I did Mm. that last week. I'll do my money this week. No, it doesn't work like that. So when we start to really grasp this whole idea of self-worth, it's different from self-esteem. It's deeper. It's self-worth. How valuable, how deserving are we of life's blessings? The the more open we are to benefit from all the other courses in the school of life. And I won't go into this much detail for the others. Just the second course is reclaiming our will. In other words, turning what we know into what we actually do in terms of exercise, diet, everything else, and I give a few tips for that. The third uh, of these courses, and the last one I'll mention for now, is energizing our body. So that's another foundation element that allows us to move through life 
And there are, again, nine more uh, that I uh, summarized, and I took great care how to summarize them clearly. Yeah. So we understand the scope of what it means to learn life's lessons and, and the implications to help us appreciate the challenges of our everyday lives. And you did do it very succinctly, and that's what I liked the most, is it wasn't a lot of fluff that you had to figure out. It's just straightforward in there, and it's easy for anyone and simple. It's not just easy, it's simple, you know. And the self-worth one, though, I find a lot of people, that's a tough one for a lot of people because for some reason, people aren't given, I don't know whether it's enough stroking or love or whatever early on to feel that they are worth or worthy of specific things. They feel guilty if they have too much. There are some people that feel guilty if they have too much or if they ask for too much or why do I deserve it when someone else might. And I usually try to equate this to people and say, look, do you sit there and think, you know, I've been healthy for, you know, a good 30 years. I think it's time for me to be not healthy so someone else can be. That's not how it works. (laughs) Right. Not a zero-sum game. The better we are, the more we open to life, the better we are for other people. It's the old cliche about putting our our oxygen mask on before we can put anybody else's on. So – Yes, we have to take care of ourselves. It's not it, – you know, we just have all these beliefs about, about uh, worth. You know, Ramakrishna once said that an ocean of abundance and bliss can rain down from the heavens, but if we're only holding up a thimble, that's all we're going to get. So right. it's about starting to open up to life and find out that that's really a cool thing, not only for us but for the people around us and the world in general. Um, so it's not a sense of entitlement. It's just self-respect, the way we'd want to respect someone else we care about. And it is raising the vibration of everyone else because we're all connected. So whatever you do for you, that's yeah. good. You're raising the greater good of everyone. And, and, you know, likewise, whatever you do that may be negative is kind of bringing everybody down. So we don't really want to be doing that. But I read that in your book about the thimble, and I laughed, and I thought, that's really good. I'm going to have to use that from now on. I like sure. that one. Sure, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that one was great. So that's that. Learning life lessons is is lifelong, and we're going to be learning lessons. And the quicker you get them, the better off you are. Because as you said, sometimes you know you get a little sign, and then you get a bigger one, and then the Mack truck hits you in the face, and you realize, oh, you know, I should have gotten this two or three signs ago. <laughs> yes, we've all had that experience, probably. Yes, absolutely. Now the next one was interesting because this is finding your career and calling, and I think that there are a lot of people that use these terms interchangeably, but they are very different. And I also think a lot of people go to school, choose a major based on, uh, I don't know, it could be what the family expects you to become or do for a living. And then they're almost suffering in a career that doesn't really resonate for them. Do you see that as well? I I see it all the time, and I experienced it in my own life. I go into my very mixed uh, job history. And, you know, people in their 20s, we call them the trying 20s because in our 20s and sometimes our early 30s, we try this, then we try that, then we try that. And it's a necessary time of experimentation. But the reason I I differentiate career and calling, and most people don't even think about calling, but we do confuse them. Many people are told, do what you love and the money will follow. Well, sometimes if you do what you love, the money will follow, but often it doesn't. Because our calling is really not about money at all. It's about something for reasons we can't always explain we just love. Whether it's building model ships in a bottle, whether it's playing guitar or other musical instrument, whether it's a hobby, a sport, or other activity, 
we're just drawn to do it. And we don't necessarily do it for the money. We just do it because you know, we might hope to make money at it someday, but we do it because we love it. We're interested in learning it. Now, our career essentially is about producing an income. It's a very basic human skill to achieve independence, to support ourselves and our family. We may like our career. We may have a lot of perks and people we like working with, but if we weren't making any money at it, we'd probably have to find something else. And the reason I think it's important to understand the difference is we have starving artists who are living maybe at the, in the parents' basement um, because they don't want to quote unquote sell out. They want to practice their guitar or whatever it is. Uh, and maybe they would benefit from having a day job, something practical for them to make an income and then stabilize their life and in their discretionary time pursue their calling, which is perfectly okay. Uh, there are other people who only justify their time if they're making money at it, and they've abandoned a calling that might enrich their life. So that's why the first major emphasis in that particular section, the second purpose, is understanding career and calling and the difference between them. Uh, and the, the, the other major theme in that section is the importance of self-knowledge, very specific kind of knowing ourselves. In other words, knowing what are my values, what are my interests, and what are my talents? And that addresses what you brought up earlier, T, that many people confuse what they think they, they should do or someone else thinks they should do with what they really want to do. And it can take mm -hmm. years to finally come around to this is what I'm meant to do. I, I have a friend who was a lawyer. He went to law school, passed the board, practiced law, but he loved to run and it was interested in nutrition and the body. And one day he went to a chiropractor's office uh, because he had a, a heel bruise and he shook hands with the chiropractor, looked around the office and said, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> and he ended up being the chiropractor for the San Francisco Ballet, for the Golden State Warrior basketball team. He had a full waiting list. Uh, he didn't even take any new clients. He was so good at what he did. This was after becoming a lawyer. So Joseph Campbell said, sometimes we climb to the top of our career ladder only to find out it's leaning against the wrong wall. <laughs> and this is what I like is that you did give that story is in your book and you did give stories so that people can see and or read that, oh, there are other people like me that are going through the same thing or have gone through the same thing and successfully made the change. And I, I think that, you know, I, like you, have had a lot of different jobs and a lot of different things that I tried and did and everything. And then I just had the realization in December of what it is that I'm actually supposed to be doing. It is in line with the work that I do. However, mm -hmm. it's, it's something else that's so far beyond it. And I realize that every single thing that I have done, as off as it may mm. have been to what I do now, has led me right. here and I learned something from it. So that attorney learned an awful lot probably about, you know, even just being able to do things with, with tenacity, you know, and he, oh, he yeah. went into an office that and thought, really okay, I can do this. Yeah, very detailed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So I right. see that in people that even though you may think, well, all I have is a dead-end job and this isn't what I want to do and I went to school for it, but I have to do it. If there's a passion burning within you, sometimes you don't even know or you don't know you can do something with it until an event occurs, there's some kind of a trigger and you realize, oh, my God. Now I know what I can do with that passion that I had. I had no idea. And all of a sudden, yeah. the ball just starts rolling. And that's a really cool thing. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Um, anybody who's been out there in the job market knows that. And 
And again, it's part of a functional part of our life. And it's, it actually forces us, it confronts us. Searching for a job is returns people to what are my talents? What are my interests? And what are my values? And does this fit? I believe that each one of us can make an income that feels like a good income to us that may vary person to person and their needs, but it feels like a good income. That's the first thing. The second thing is uh, it's something we basically enjoy, find suitable, meaningful. And the third important variable is it serves other people, even no matter how humble it serves other people. And those three things are important in any work we do. And most people have a number of different jobs uh, or careers throughout their life today. We, we, it's not a big deal to change. We need to learn how to change um, a midlife crisis into a mid-course correction. Oh, I like that. That's very good. Yes. <laughs> that I that's that's really terrific the way that you worded that. And I think that one of the things that people maybe get confused about is and maybe it's more women than men. I'm not sure. Maybe it's because I deal mostly with women, but I will have people say, "Well, you know, there's not anything that I do that's actually serving other people." And they're not looking at the bigger picture to see where they are in the puzzle and how if you took them out, things would not work the same way. And it's it's a constant source of aggravation for them because they say, well, I don't do anything of service. What do I do that serves others? And there are so many things that I can think of just standing on the outside looking in. And I just smile sometimes. And I say, wow, don't you see that if you were not doing your job, all these other jobs wouldn't be able to get done. You know, yes. if, if, you, if, if the man that was not sweeping our streets or who does sweep our streets did not sweep our streets, what would they look like and who would do it? It would be a mess. You know, everybody's got a, a purpose, and it's important no matter what it is. It doesn't matter if you're the Dalai Lama or the Pope or the President or if you're no, the man that's sweeping the streets. No, it really doesn't. It, yeah. It's so true. It doesn't matter. When I was coaching gymnastics, I absolutely enjoyed teaching rank beginners, people who were just learning how to do a roll or a cartwheel, just beginners. I enjoyed that as much as... Uh, the elite uh, Olympic level people I worked with. It's all important. And they took just as much meaning. The top elite athletes don't get more meaning than the beginners. The beginners often have the most joy. So it's the same with work. In fact, I tell one of the many true stories I tell in the book um, was about a, 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 I was on the Shinkansen, the bullet train in Japan, waiting mm -hmm. for my train in this big train station. And there were these... Um, probably hundreds of vertical bars on a railing, uh, a safety railing. And this little man was polishing one bar after the next. There were hundreds going all the way to the length of the station. And each one he took great care, looked at, checked it, and then went to the next one. Not the most creative job, not something most of us would aspire to, but he was like a Zen master. He took real pride in how well he was doing that work to help beautify a station. Whether people notice it or not, if they're paying attention, it brings a little bit more beauty into their life. So no matter how humble... Any job is useful if you were doing a practical occupation, and it's important for us to know that. It's a real gift to appreciate the work we do. It, as you say, it doesn't have to be in the, the, the 60th story corner office. Right. It absolutely does not. And that sometimes are the people that aren't really getting as much joy and feeling the pride. And this is not pride of ego and, and you know, 
being pompous. This is pride of doing a good job and feeling your heart, coming from your heart. That man who was cleaning those those rods were, was doing it from his heart and knowing he was doing a good job and thinking this is good for everyone because people will see it and they'll make, be happy seeing it. So, you know, I really believe that is a huge player. Yes, we agree on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we are speaking with Dan Millman, author of The Four Purposes of Life, Finding Meaning and Direction in a Changing World. To learn more, please visit his website, www.peacefulwarrior.com. That's P-E-A-C-E-F-U-L-W-A-R-R-I-O-R.com. So go ahead and write that down now so you can check it out after the show. Okay, so this next one, this one is amazing to me because – I, I shouldn't say, I won't say this right now. I'll wait. <laughs> Discovering your life path. I'm going to let you take, I'm not even going to say another word. I'm going to let you take that one. <laughs> sure. Glad to do so. Um, here's, th- this is the most mysterious purpose. The third purpose in the book. I wrote a whole big book about this topic, but this summarizes in a very effective way with some new material about how I discovered this uh, life purpose system. It is, First of all, it was based on meeting an unusual mentor years ago who did a reading for me, a consultation, and he crystallized the core elements of my life. And I just couldn't believe he could know this about me. And I asked him if he was psychic. He said, no, I'm not psychic, but I've been trained to know where to look. When I was able to, at an advanced training, learn, I said, you mean I can learn to do for other people what you did for me? He said, yes, I was there. And I, I took 20 pages of notes. That's all, 20 pages. And, and after working with it for eight years, doing it for, for friends and relatives, anybody who'd listen, then I started to do it um, you know, professionally uh, as my, my insight opened up. Uh, eight years later, I started teaching psychotherapists and others the system because it, it has uncanny accuracy in terms of people understanding their lives. Now, anything I say about it, it's kind of, you know, your listeners might be going, well, that sounds good, Dan. But here's what I challenge them to do. I encourage your listeners to go to my website, which is PeacefulWarrior.com, PeacefulWarrior.com. And they'll see a link right on the left saying life purpose. If they click on that link, they will go to a life purpose calculator. It's all free. They just go to the calculator, put in their day, month, and year of birth. They'll immediately see their life path described as a number. Now, the number won't mean much, but there are words there, and there's a paragraph, a taste, uh, a sample of some core issues of their life. And it really gives quick insight. There's much more material, but that at least gives a quick grasp of some, some essential elements of their life. And so what I mean by the third purpose, finding your life path, it's about finding that hidden calling. There are inner drives, the hurdles we're here to overcome that our friend may not have, but also the, the qualities and gifts we also have that we may not have fully appreciated. So it does crystallize one's life in a fundamental way that many people never really grasp. They just don't know why they don't feel fulfilled, even if they're making good money. It's something that feels off. So that's what I invite people to do, and that's what I mean by the finding our life path. It is based on a numerological system. Now, I've never been that interested in numerology myself. It seemed about 40% accurate to me, but when I was trained in this particular interpretation, 
of the date of birth, it just astonished me. And there is no rational way I can explain why adding up the numbers of one's date of birth can give valid, reliable, accurate information. But I do know after almost 30 years working with it that it is very accurate. And more important, it's useful. It helps us to be more compassionate with ourselves and with our children, our parents, other people we know. That's absolutely true. I I do do numerology, and I see accuracy Mm -hmm. a lot. And it's funny Mm -hmm. because... The only way I can explain it is everything is energy, and I know that, and numbers are energy. And when you are born, those, ener- those numbers are going to have an energy, and the day that you are born is meant to be, and that is your energy. So you're going to pick up on those numbers that are your life path, and that gives you the energy. It's not to say you have to do what it says to do, but there's a huge aspect there you will be doing within it. Uh, for instance, you're 2810, correct? That was in the book, I believe. No, actually, two six eight. I'm a two six eight. Oh, I'm sorry, twenty six eight. Okay, I'm a thirty four seven. Okay, so mm-hmm. I know part of my life is to teach. I know that. I'm like, okay, part of what I have to do is to teach, and I didn't know that at all. But I've always been drawn to being able to help other people and teach them things that I knew that maybe they did not know. And, you know, whether it was knitting and teaching children how to knit or to sew or to cook, or it would be something like the energetic work that I do. In any case, it doesn't matter. It was a, a big part of my life. So if people do, go, go to the website because it's really crazy when you go in and you see it and you read the paragraphs and you will see. And I can't tell you how many people will go, wow, yeah, okay, that is me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, uh, uh, that's my experience. And uh, by the way, I need to emphasize we are n- more than a number. You know, we use shorthand oh, yeah. and say I'm a 268, I'm a 2810, but, or 347, but and there, by the way, there are 43 different life paths for people born in this system, in this particular system, since 1900, uh, and some unusual life paths for babies born after the some babies born after the year 2000. In any case, um, the way I would put it is this: so we understand our unique qualities. If I were to point to a tree outside, chances are there's not a single tree on the planet exactly like that tree, in the angle of every branch and stem. However, um, so each of us is unique, in, in the, like that tree. However, I can say something about redwood trees that is different from birches or aspens or oaks. In that way, each of us is living a pattern, a certain frequency, energy, or pattern, um, which I call the life path. And we may be working it more in the positive or more in the negative, and many of us alternate. You know, we, And in fact, in, in the larger book I wrote, I go into what it looks like when we're working each of those paths in the positive or negative, so we understand the manifestations of both. Um, and it's all about insight, knowing ourselves and appreciating the unique process of our lives, but also one we share in some sense with many other people. Yes. And, and that's a really good analogy because there are so many, there are similarities, but nobody is exact. Even identical twins are not exactly the same. So exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. That's a, that's a great way to put it. I loved that part of the book too. I was really getting into it. <laughs> the, the whole book, but that was, you know, that's always fascinating to me. I just love that. <laughs> so that was really yeah. cool. Um, and then the fourth purpose, I think this was my favorite one is attending to the, this arising moment. I loved that because it teaches us to be aware and ever present. And, you know, as sure as the sun's going to rise tomorrow, 
it most definitely for me when I'm really in that mode of being present makes your life flow more smoothly and I'm thinking that has to be true for everyone. Yes. Well, you know, after someone can get overwhelmed in terms of looking at these 12 courses in the school of life, the first purpose, learning life's lessons and the school rules and all that entails, uh, then they can get completely immersed in what is the right career for me or calling, what is the difference uh, and how do I make decisions in that area? And then we go to the more mysterious life path and how we find that out and all that entails. But the fourth purpose attending to our purpose in this arising moment brings it all home because we may not be able to articulate our cosmic purpose here, but everyone knows their purpose in this moment, what's right in front of us. You and I are very clear on our purpose in this moment. We're discussing Mm -hmm. things with each other and your, your listeners are listening. That's their purpose. Uh, unless they're multitasking, which sometimes happens. <laughs> so so that's, that's why it's so important because we can always handle the present moment. And yes, we've all heard, yes, it's good to live in the present moment, but often it, we take it in at the level of a slogan, not understanding its real import. It's not just living in the present. It's attending to the present. What needs doing now? It's the basic idea that what has shaped our lives to this point is largely what we've done, not what we felt or thought, but what we've actually done. If we look back on our life and our accomplishments, we've reached this point by doing things. And I know other people teach metaphysically that it's all about our thoughts and having the right thoughts and the right emotions. That's a whole other topic I'm not going to get yeah. into right now. Yeah. But um, we can look, and it's fairly self-evident, that what we do is what we bring into the world. And, you know, I I can be a writer and have a lot of great ideas and thoughts about it and emotions, but unless I put it down on the page, nobody can can benefit from what I've written. And and the same applies to whatever we manifest in life. So attending to our purpose in this moment is, it may involve accepting our thoughts, whatever they are, sometimes positive, sometimes negative, or our emotions that change all the time. But meanwhile, the question remains, what am I going to do right now? Uh, Let me put it this way. Custom motto, a boxing coach, once said that heroes and cowards feel exactly the same fear. They just respond differently. Mm. So the question is, how will I respond to this moment? And that is what's really going to make a difference in our lives. Yes, yes. The, uh, that's very true. I, you know, if you respond positively, you're going to obviously see positive outcomes. And if you respond negatively, negatively you're going to see negative outcomes and that's the awareness right there and it's always okay to just pause for a second and say okay how do I want to respond to this you know and that way you're really being present with what is going on and knowing that you're putting your best foot forward if you will and making things you know just right for everybody because it's not just about and I don't mean you I mean all of us it's not just about us it's not about you you know it's, it's about the whole and once you, you get to that and you realize, okay, I really need to think this through for a second, that's still being in the present moment because you're attending to what is arising right now and taking care of it. And I don't mean to imply, because many people, can, you know, it's been said that a writer's job is not to be understood. It's to make it impossible or difficult to be misunderstood. It's so easy for anyone to misunderstand what has been written, and I take great care 
uh, in, in avoiding this. In fact, I tell people, I've told them for 30 years, my responsibility is not to get someone to believe or think the way I do. It's to be clear enough so they can agree or disagree based on understanding what I've said or written rather than misunderstanding it. So this idea of the present moment is not some rule that we're not supposed to think about the past or future. We have this great human capacity to remember and to imagine. That's what we call past and future. The past is simply a set of memories. It it doesn't exist anymore except in the nervous impulses in our brain. Or we may have a photograph, but when we look at a photograph, we're looking at it in the present moment. It just may remind us of something we call a memory or impression in our brain. And the future doesn't exist. It never comes. Tomorrow never comes. It's always tomorrow. But right. we all have, we just have another present moment. So we, but we have the ability to imagine. So there's nothing wrong with planning our day, uh, what we ha- need to do today after we get up. But we don't want to become attached to the plans because we notice they tend to change. Uh, something new comes up and we have to adjust our plans and be flexible. So there's nothing wrong with, with uh, the problem is most of us, most of the suffering we have, the dissatisfaction, the upsets, the unfinished business is when we think about the past and future regrets, anxieties. And when that happens, that's when it's important to remember, okay, what do I need to do right now? Because that is going to make all the difference rather than, you know, Mark Twain had a great quote. He once said, I've had many troubles in my life, most of which never happened. (laughs) That's true. You worry about things and they never come to be. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Yes. And we always think the worst. And then it's like, oh, that wasn't that bad. (laughs) Yep. Yep, exactly. It's so very true. And I don't know why, when I was reading your book in that particular, that particular chapter, I, I remembered, and, and I don't even know why. I, I don't know if this is going to make sense to anybody else, but it made sense to me. There was a movie oh, in the past few years called The Odd Life of Timothy Green. And it was about a little boy, Timothy, who grew out of a garden, and the homeowners took him in as their own. Are you familiar with that movie at all? No, actually, I hadn't heard about that. Jennifer Garner, I can't remember who else was in it. And I couldn't remember the name of the movie, so I had to look it up to see, you know, what was the name of that movie? And it's The Odd Life of Timothy Green. I loved this movie because Timothy, who grew from the garden, they were attempting to have a child and it wasn't happening. So one day they went out and they're in the garden with Timothy. He would attempt to do a multitude of things. And when those things didn't go as they typically may for the norm, he would say, I can only get better. <laughs> And the first time I heard that, I laughed and I thought, oh, my God, that's really good. I like that. I love that because he was really in the present and he was trying to be aware of what was happening and what it was supposed to be like. But he was totally engaged and he would just so innocently say, I can only get better. And I thought that's that's really something that we all need to, like, realize that nobody's perfect. You do the best you can in, in the moments that come up. And then you learn from it, so there's a life lesson coming in, and you can only get better. I don't know why it works that way, but it reminded me of that. Does that even make sense? It makes total sense. In fact, my daughter and I, my daughter Sierra and I wrote a book together called The Creative Compass, Writing Your Way from Inspiration to Publication. And one of the chapters in that book um, is called uh, Permit Yourself to Write Badly. And then in parentheses, so that you can then write well, because everything, you know, everything is difficult until it becomes easy. And I tell the story, I believe, in The Four Purposes of Life about how, yeah, I do tell it, about how I learned to ride a unicycle at 60 years old. 
Um, and it, and the story, it's a longer story, but it basically, after, it took me three weeks of daily coming back every day to be able to get on that thing and ride in figure eights around the uh, tennis court. Um, and it taught me a lot about that process, about how I just never thought I could do it. I felt like it just felt impossible. Anybody who's tried to ride a unicycle knows it's very humbling. Um, yeah. And yet I kept at it and it was difficult, difficult, difficult. I failed, I failed, I failed. And until I didn't, until I was able to do it. And mm-hmm. that's a lesson I learned in years of gymnastics where I failed 50 times a day. It was just stepping stones. You just keep failing until you finally do it. And, and that's, to me, that's what it's about. That is what it's about. And I will have people say, you know, I failed so badly. And I'll say, okay, no, we're not going to use the word failed. And they'll say, but I failed. And I'd say, no, you just found the way that doesn't work. Now let's find the way that does. Just keep going. Just keep going. But don't give yourself that I failed because that takes you down like 10 notches. And then you have to go up those 10 notches to get to, to bottom again so you can start. So just realize, you know what, this is a no. And I'm getting closer to figuring out what will work. And they, I mean, people really sometimes look at me like I'm out of my mind. <laughs> I think it's a better way to look at it, you know? Especially well, I like that kids. way. <laughs> yeah, I like the way to look at it. Um, and there are really two approaches. One, I think, is a very good one, the one you suggest. Don't use the word fail. Because it's been said, nobody actually fails at anything. They just quit trying. Um, right. You know, Shoma Morita, a Japanese psychiatrist, had a wonderful saying. He said, when running up a hill, it's okay to give up as many times as you want. As long as your feet keep moving. Yes. <laughs> so, yep. yeah, you have to keep I, going. But, <laughs> but we don't have to be afraid of failure. If I try a move in gymnastics and I, I don't succeed, I don't do the move, I fall down, then I failed to do the move. That's a fact, simple fact of mm-hmm. life. That, mm-hmm. that, that, but that doesn't imply permanence. It doesn't make me a failure. It just makes I didn't do what I intended to. Now I'll try again. And that, uh, so I'm not, not afraid of the word itself. It just doesn't mean permanent. That's where many people see that as they, little kids will try something once, and if it doesn't work, they avoid it the next time. Yes. And that's where, where, I, where I try to show them that, okay, it's not that you failed. It's just that you, you found the wrong way to do it, so let's find a right way to do it, a better way. You found a way that doesn't work. Let's find one that does. And then they're like, yeah. oh, I can do that? Their eyes open up, and they say, really, I can do that? And I say, of course you can. Let's keep doing it. And even if it takes 45 gazillion times to do something, you're getting closer to the right way. With each failure, or whatever you want to call it, your, each no yeah. leads you to a yes. You know, right. and that's and what salesmen it, talk about. Yes, it's also that's true. They 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 talk about it that way for sales, but it's also uh, an understanding of process about how things mm-hmm. actually work in terms of turning what we know into what we actually do. I recommend to people dream big, but start small, and then connect the dots. You know, sometimes I I. I joke with people when they say, Dan, do you meditate every day? I go, absolutely. I meditate every single day for at least 15 seconds. And then they laugh <laughs> and go, oh, come on, Dan, you know, come on, that doesn't mean anything. But it really does because I do it every day. So that's right. what I mean by starting small. At my website, again, if people are going to that Life Purpose link, they'll also see on the right-hand side of the page some courses, online courses. And people, by the way, can pay pretty much whatever they want. So anybody can afford them. And yes. one of the courses is called the Peaceful Warrior Workout. It's a workout I did this morning and yesterday morning and every morning for the last almost 30 years. 
because it's designed to be completed in less than four minutes a day. It's almost excuse proof. Um, and that's what I mean by starting small. A little bit of something is better than a lot of nothing. It's a great way to start the day. So I teach that workout with video and text uh, online so people, anybody can learn it. And it's helped a lot of people. And, and yes, I believe it has. And I did see that on your website. Your website is, is chock full of all kinds of wonderful things. So everybody really does need to go to PeacefulWarrior.com because there's so much there that you can take advantage of. So do so. In your book, you also tell us, and this was really wonderful, to practice what you do. And I had to laugh at that because there are so many times that I'm an integrative healthcare practitioner. There are other integrative mm-hmm. healthcare practitioners out there. And sometimes they'll say, well, I don't like it when doctors call it their practice. I mean, they're just practicing, right? And I think that's not what the word means to me. So because I call my business a private practice, and to me it just means that you are doing everything for the pleasure of doing it in the moment you're fully engaged, you're being with it. As you said in your book, to notice the small things, the subtle shift of posture that relieves stress, the relaxing breath, the act of remembering to smile for the pleasure of it. In that sense of the word, practice, you're not speaking of rehearsing. You're not speaking of, you are speaking of being in the presence of whatever is before you, fully present and engaged. Is that correct? That is correct. In fact, I'll share a story from uh, one of my books. And and actually, I got this line into the Peaceful Warrior movie based on my first book. Um, I'm in the gym. This isn't in the movie, but I'm in the gym. And Socrates, my old mentor I describe in my first book, he's watching me. And I, I do a move I hadn't done that well in a long time. It was like a full twisting double somersault off the horizontal bar. Most people have seen that on TV and so on in the Olympics. And I stuck my landing, which means I landed under perfect control. And I said, yes, that's a great way to end the workout. So I tore off my sweatshirt, threw it in my workout bag. And Socrates and I were walking down the hall afterward. And he stopped and turned to me and said, you know, that last movie you did, Dan, was really sloppy. And I said, what are you talking about, Sock? I said, that was the best dismount I did in, you know, in, in many weeks. And he said, oh, I'm not talking about the dismount. I'm talking about the way you took off your sweatshirt and put it in your bag. And he reminded me again that I was, teach- I was treating one moment as special flying off the mm-hmm. high bar and another moment as ordinary. So he reminded me once again that there are no ordinary moments. And then he followed that up with, he said, the difference between us, Dan, is that you practice gymnastics. I practice everything. Mm-hmm. And when I asked him what he meant by practicing, he said, most people do things. They do the laundry, they do the dishes, they do their work. But he said, when you practice something, it's a different mental frame. Well, we, we practice something with the intent of it actually improving it. And yeah. how many people practice their signature or practice walking or practice breathing? Not many. They get to a point, they say, oh, okay, I can do that. And they forget about it and it becomes unconscious. And we develop mm-hmm. bad habits over time. So the idea of practicing brings us into that zone that athletes achieve, into that sense of flow. Uh, and that's what, again, that fourth purpose of life, attending to our purpose in this present moment, that brings us back to, I know the words, I think, overused today, but we become more mindful of what's arising in this moment. 
And when we are mindful in doing things, even if it's folding the laundry, washing the dishes, washing your car, if you're doing that, fully engaged, being mindful, being present in that moment of what you're doing and practicing for it to be better, that is a form of meditation. It is, absolutely. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's not just sitting. We don't live life in a sitting position. No. It's fine. Sitting meditation is a good beginner's practice. One can do it for many years. Uh, and start to see the nature of thoughts and mind. But when you can meditate in action, when you can meditate all your actions, movements, typing, eating, um, then you've really got an approach to living that brings a different refinement and quality in everyday life. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful because you, you do, you feel healthier and you are healthier because you're not, you're relieving stress all the while. You know, you don't have all those upsets and that angst because you're taking everything in stride. People don't believe it until they actually start to do it and see it because they, they don't want to think that they have the time to meditate. But when I explain to them, if you go out in your garden and you're gardening or mowing the lawn, that can be a walking meditation. Use it. Use it Absolutely. for that. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. And many mm-hmm. people think, oh, it sounds exhausting. It's like a never-ending self-improvement project. But actually, it takes how much energy does it take just to pay attention, look around, you know, what we're doing. It takes less energy. You know, a friend of mine, this is a related story. A friend of mine used to smile all the time. He was popular with people because he, he was such a pleasant guy. He smiled a lot. And I once said, George, you know, you seem to smile a lot. He said, well, Dan... He said, I found out that it takes fewer muscles to smile than it does to frown, and I'm just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, the point is, it actually takes less muscles to just pay attention to what's going on than to be trying to do one thing while we're thinking about past and future, oh, and I'm not, no good at this, and all the complications we create in our lives. It's just to remember to take a deep breath now and then, to shake loose, to relax. Even now, while your listeners are listening to this broadcast, they can just take a deep breath. Ah, how hard is that, you know? And just to relax. Notice if we have any tension while I'm doing it. I stood up out of my little stool here and I sat back down. Ah, that feels good. And we can do that any time to practice this Absolutely. Moment. Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, sometimes I think that, I, I will tell people, it's so much work to be depressed and stressed. Why do you want to do that to yourself? Don't you want less work and more joy? So let's get to that point. And then you have to work on that. And, and, and your book actually speaks well to that without actually saying those words. This book will bring people to a place of peace because it's a practice that you, you just get it as you read it. And it's so easy and simple to incorporate into your life. So I'm going to suggest all the listeners, please check out the four purposes of life. Go to Dan's website, peacefulwarrior.com. Check out everything that's there. As I said, there's a plethora of information. You're going to love it. And, Dan, I can't believe we're almost out of time. But before we go, I'd love it if you would tell our listeners how they may learn more about you, your online courses, upcoming events, and where they may purchase your book, The Four Purposes of Life. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that, T. Um, basically, my website's probably the best place. There, as you said, there are many features there. They can join my e-list if they like, uh, follow me on Facebook. Um, but the peacefulwarrior.com has um, a Q&A, a little video on who is Socrates, and uh, there are events coming up. Um, course about the movie a trailer or the movie trailer so there are many links and there anybody's curious and has enjoyed um, what we our conversation that i cordially invite them to drop by the website 
Well, Dan, you know, it's truly been an honor having you on the show. It really has. I'm, I really feel blessed. Thank you so much for taking time to join us here at Energy Awareness Radio. Very, very much appreciate your, all of your time. Thank you, T. You're welcome. You know, listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a very challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do, to keep you apprised so you don't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life that we are meant to live, productively, healthfully, and purposefully. This is where you find the tools to do just that, so send the link to this very show to everyone you know, and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archive list of past shows, the lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting, including my sound healing concerts and labyrinth walks. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. <laughs> 